This is William Beaver Bausch, and you're listening to Counting Measures, Passing Notes, a podcast which talks about music, education, and the places where they meet. As you may know, I'm a drummer who has been teaching in New York City for the past 26 years. For a variety of reasons, I don't teach anymore. This is part of my effort to make peace with that, talking with some of the folk who shaped and shared the journey that brought me here. In this week's adventure, I got to chat with percussion guru Guy Didel, with whom I had the good fortune to study from sixth grade all the way through to the end of high school. Guy was not, strictly speaking, my first drum teacher. He was a guy named Mike, or Doug, or Dave. He had one of them one-syllable American names and a big 70s mustache. Cue the porn guitar. The summer before sixth grade, probably around my birthday, my mother walked me down to the hook of Sandy Hook, where nestled next to the post office was a fine establishment called the Music Hut. We left with a drum method book, a piece of wood with a rubber pad glued to it, a metronome, and a pair of drumsticks. We also signed up for weekly lessons. I think I had maybe two lessons with Mike, Doug, Dave. How to hold the sticks, quarters and eighth notes, the first pages of the method book. Then he was gone. Mike, Dave, Doug quit. One more lesson with his replacement, who was awful. Exhibit A, in response to my question, can I learn to play drums like Peter Chris? Uh, he said, can you tap your foot and play something else at the same time? No? Well, then you can't learn to play drum set. School started, I stopped going to the Music Hut, which might have helped it go out of business, which I think it did shortly thereafter. So fast forward a few weeks or months, and there were now private and semi-private lessons available after school, taught by this guy named Guy, which in itself was pretty hilarious to my sixth grade mind, a guy named Guy. He also had a 70s mustache. We were in the 70s. More important than his impeccable fashion sense, Guy did not seem to feel that my innate inability to foot tap would hinder my learning too much. And within a year, I was a featured drum set soloist alongside the dynamic David Brooker with the seventh grade band, So There. And I stuck with Guy all through high school, pun intended. He trained me in the orchestral dark arts, prepared me for auditions for Allstate and summer camp, wrote cool drum cadences for the marching band and a wild percussion ensemble piece, and was a constant supportive presence in my life for seven years a period I would describe as inherently difficult and unstable. Puberty, divorce, my first love, my first love leaves. Good times. So here we are now, just over 30 years later, and Guy Dedell is still the same guy. I'm really not trying to use his name as a pun, honestly. He's endlessly upbeat, quick to praise and encourage, always seeing the value in everyone, never critical or malicious. We chatted about his musical paths, the percussive joys of carting gear around, the role of a good private teacher, and how the attitudes of kids and parents have changed over the years. 
A special thank you to his wife, Doreen, who is instrumental in surmounting Guy's resistance to electronic communications of all kinds and making this interview happen. Here's Guy Dedell. I was wondering if you could tell me about how you got into music. Did you have a musical family? I didn't have a tremendously musical family. My older brother, I have two brothers, and my older brother played a little trumpet, but I was just born to be a drummer. I mean, I was banging on pots and pans when I was like, you know, little, 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 little. And it's just was always, always my passion um, as a kid and still is. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, my parents couldn't stop me from playing. I was always banging on something. So the, uh, the prototypical drumming story. Right. Nice. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that was, that was, I mean, I was so excited, you know, with the, I was, I was from Newtown, Connecticut, as you know, because you're there, from there too, and uh, their program started in fourth grade, and that, that was like so exciting to get a pair of drumsticks and a, and a rubber practice pad, and it shows how things have changed nowadays, because for most kids probably aren't really excited about rubber practice pads, but that was like the big thing for me right then. Was there a, a lesson program, or was this with like Marvin Zimmer or Miss Whippy, or? Yeah, no, it was a lesson program. Um, and there were, you know, there were a group of us, you know, a typical drum section, and I don't know who taught it. Um, it might have even been Mr. Grasso at that time, because it was a pretty, you know, small program. Um, because Mrs. Whippy, who I remember really well, she was great, um, did the seventh grade band, I guess, and, and, uh, Mr. Zimmer, who was quite the character, did the eighth grade band. And then we went into high school with Mr. Grasso. But I think it may have been him right at the very beginning. Interesting. Because we didn't, I don't think we actually played in a band. We just took, you know, less than like once a month or something. It's a long time ago. But, uh, you know, you didn't join the band until maybe sixth grade or something. That, that, I guess that makes sense because I don't remember any elementary bands. No, that, I don't think there was one. And I think it was just Mr. Grasso giving lessons. And it wasn't, I don't even think it was a weekly thing. I think it was more like, you know, kind of an intro once a month type of thing. Where they'd pull you out of something or do it during lunch or something like that? Yeah, I, yeah, it could be yeah, one of those things. That's a long time ago. <laughs> but I just remember it being really exciting and really fun. And all we did was, was we didn't even, I don't even think we played on actual real drums or maybe every once in a while we did, but most of it was, you know, how to hold the sticks and then we would uh, use our practice pads. And did you uh, want to be an orchestral drummer or a rock drummer or none of the above? Oh, I just wanted to play drums. Just not, well, I mean, all of the above, I guess. I didn't really think, you know, in fourth grade, you don't really think too much about orchestral uh, and rock and roll. You know, I was listening to it. I can even remember air drumming with my middle brother um, uh, to Led Zeppelin um, in the basement. And that must have been probably in fourth, fifth grade or so. And of course, John Bonham from Led Zeppelin was a fantastic drummer. So that was that was a pleasure. <laughs> even air drumming to him is challenging. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. I can remember doing that quite a bit because I didn't get my first drum. My parents had the philosophy of they would give me one drum a year to build my drum set, and if I earned the next year, if I practiced a lot and did what I was told, uh, I would get another drum. So I started with the snare drum probably in sixth grade. And then you, then the bass drum came next, or yeah, and then the bass drum came in, and I think I got a hi hat. Then they usually would happen on Christmas. Uh, and I think I got my first hi-hat like on my birthday, that type of thing. So every Christmas, there'd be another drum. 
And that lasted for quite a while. <laughs> Until you had the complete Carl Palmer Memorial Barbecue drum kit? Yeah, well, and it never got quite that big, but uh, yeah, I had an old Ludwig Champagne Sparkle drum set with a metal snare. Nice. And so you played through high school, and and did you study privately, or was it still just whatever... Uh, uh, yeah, I started studying privately, um, uh, probably my junior, I think it was my junior year with a, a guy named Bob D'Angelo, who, uh, was a student over at Westcon. And I went over to his house to take a lesson and I saw his marimba and that, that just flipped me out. I thought that was such a cool thing. So my summer of my, uh, before my senior year, um, I, we had a little savings, you know, from your grandparents that gave you five bucks a year or something like that. And I had enough in my savings and we were allowed to do whatever we wanted to. And so I bought a marimba. Wow. Talk about something weird to buy. <laughs> and I still have it. Uh, it's still upstairs in my studio. It's amazing. And Bob was a great, he was, he was like kind of my first mentor, except for Joe Grasso, of course, who was my, still my master mentor, but, um, who I just gigantic respect for. And so, uh, you went to Westcon as well, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was participating in Westcon's music program in, in kind of in my senior year. So it was, uh, kind of a, you know, just a, a thing to do, you know? Uh, and I mean, even when I, um, went to audition to get into the program, cause I was a performance, performance major, uh, Mr. Smith, who was the percussion teacher there said, ah, I don't even need to hear, hear you. You're already in. And I said, Oh no, 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 no. I worked really hard for this audition. You're going to listen to me. <laughs> so we did the typical audition because I had worked hard for it. Uh, and West Ham was a good thing. Uh, you know, it was a small school. So it gave, um, I mean, it was really small back then, uh, and it gave you a lot of opportunity because, you know, we may, maybe there were eight percussion majors then. Uh, so you had, you know, you got a lot of attention and lots of opportunities, and there were some really good professors there. Sure. I remember uh, Mr. Smith uh, when I did the summer programs at the Hart School of Music. And, yeah, and okay, he was, cool. Uh, yeah. yeah, he was a formidable presence oh yeah 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 he's quite the player and he just retired he's been going 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 and he was very influential on me because once a year he would do a solo recital which was really neat a lot of the teachers didn't do that so that was really cool give him a chance to really stretch out and yeah and you know you get a chance to you know see him as a musician not just a music teacher that's interesting i, I probably will want to come back to that this kind of the my idea of what a music teacher uh, private teachers should be or shouldn't be and it seems to boil down to ego um the the best teachers you almost don't even know how they play and and right right and yeah. the others i won't say the worst but the others are constantly like and then i would do this and then i could do this and right right yeah. no dave smith was hands-on all the way and he was hands-on with us his students he would play with us i um, mean every lesson he would play in the lesson so when did you start teaching uh, while well, I was still in high school, probably like my senior year or something, I did, uh, I had a student named Chris Roberts, I remember oh, him. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, and that's, that's who I, you know, I, I started with just a few people right out of my house, I guess. I don't know how that actually got organized, but, uh, uh, that's what we did. So Chris, he must have been way young when you were doing that, because I remember him in yeah, he high was, school. Yeah, he was pretty young. And I think it was like my senior year in high school, and I think it was pretty disorganized. And then um, I taught throughout college. I must have started with you around 78 or 79. 
Right, because I was in college then. I we probably got started when I was still at Westcon, probably like junior year or so. So, what were your uh, your professional aspirations? Like, did you want to play, or, or were you kind of like, well, I'm just doing what I want to do, and I'm not really goal focused, shall we say? Which I mean in the pejorative yeah. sense, since I clearly am unable to do that. Yeah, I think I wanted to play. I mean, I I, I think, and, and I don't know if it was the best decision in my, in my life, but uh, uh, yeah, I wanted to play, and it was just something I did in college. I had that band called Solstice, and we did a little touring, a little touring around, and that's kind of what I wanted to do. And that band continued for oh, yeah, a long, long time. Yeah, we, we we were probably doing it for uh, ten years or so before it fell apart, but. Uh, and that you know it was a great experience. It was a lot of fun, and that was that was our lives. I mean, I lived with the guys, and we played all the time, and we performed quite a bit, and uh, it was fun. It wasn't very economically sound, but it was fun. Yeah, show me improvised music that is economically sound, and and I don't know. I guess it'll be Kenny G at the top of it, and and I'll be making a face like this. And when did the um, the visiting artist program begin? Well, it started, I mean, it started, I mean, probably you, I mean, it was right, right about your time. Um, and, uh, uh, I started, I think Dave Smith was up in the high school or Bob D'Angelo was up in the high school and I was only middle school for the first couple of years before I got brought up to the high school. So we did sixth, seventh and eighth grades. And I think that's when I met you. That sounds reasonable. Yeah. Cause we used to go, remember there were two band rooms in uh the middle school yeah well there was i, I should say that there was one band room and then one music room right, where the music right, classes right. Okay. took place yeah yeah way way the way off to the side there by the stage so and then you inherited the in, the entire kingdom as it were or yeah i inherited the entire kingdom that's for sure uh and did that for a long long time how long were you did you do that uh, that's for, I mean, you, you started in sixth grade and you graduated and I was still there, I think when you graduated. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. And I'm sure I kept going for quite a, quite a while. I did that program. I did a, a, a mentorship program for the talented kids in New Fairfield. And I taught at, um, and then I started teaching at Worcester school and at uh, the gunnery, which is another private school. So I was all over the place. I mean, it was a full-time right. job. And I was still kind of half in college, half out of college. Because I took a six-year program in college, so I had a little extra time. Well, when I graduated from my four-year college, and then I went to work stocking shelves in a grocery store, um, which is a job I got through nepotism, because my cousin was the manager. Okay. So, from my perspective, if you were already working by the time you were, say, a junior in in college, it's almost like, well, why keep going, you know, apart from learning or whatever that is. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. You know, and I was still taking lessons. I took lessons in New York City for a while with a great marimba player, Lee Stevens, uh, and stayed on top of it for, you know, for, for a long time. So marimba was really your, your passion. I remember tabla being at the top of the list. Yeah, tabla, but that was, that was because of Solstice, and that was because of uh, Colin Wolcott from the band Oregon. Yeah, I, I, I studied with him a little bit until he was tragically killed. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, so that was, I mean, that was, that was a, that was a, a new thing and that was a lot of fun. I still have some tablets here, but they're not really playable at this point. Tablets are difficult in in this country because the weather just doesn't work very well for them. Oh, not to mention difficult, just period. Talking yeah, oh, it's a fun instrument. 
uh, I have a, a friend who who has been studying that for a couple years, maybe ten years now. I'm not sure, but the whole mindset is is very different. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, I was more of a you know rock and roll tabla player, but the traditional Indian thing, you know, just the language alone to to learn is very difficult. The drumming language because they do a lot of things verbally first. Um, so it's it's and their their rhythmic structure is you know their harmonic structure is. is pretty straight ahead, but their rhythmic structure is incredibly complicated. You don't remember when you uh, left Newtown? No, not exactly. I don't even remember. I mean, I got really involved with the Worcester School program, so I think it, just, it was a, a, a time issue. I just got, you know, when, when I joined Worcester Music Department, which was a K-12 private school in Danbury, um, that just became so busy that I think I just kind of ran out of time and just chose Worcester and uh, passed the, I don't know who started teaching after me. I was going to ask if you knew if if the program continued. Yeah, I think the visiting artist program continued because uh, Mr. Grasso was still there. I don't think he had retired yet. Um, and uh, somebody, somebody passed it on to somebody. So I think he retired in 92, so I guess you left... Before that? Yeah, I wonder if I... Uh, yeah, 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 well, yeah, I'm just, like, I think I may have been a year uh, after he retired, uh, but I wasn't really, really involved by then because I was so busy with the other school. Did you feel, uh, this is something I'm wrestling with, that the definition of success, or as it's now known, survival in, in music, is that something that shifts for you? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not doing a lot of music right now, um, so I think I had my successful moments, you know, especially in college and stuff like that. Um, but you know, afterwards, yeah, I don't really know. I mean, um, I think I wandered away from it a bit. Um, if I probably stuck to the orchestral stuff, maybe I'd be teaching at a college now or something like that. But you know, life goes on, and things started to change a little bit. What sort of things were changing? Just where your interest lay? Uh, yeah, lifestyle. I mean, I got real into outdoor activities, hiking. I did a lot of the Appalachian Trail and stuff like that. So that passion, I think my musical passion kind of changed over to outdoor activity passion. And uh, and also, I mean, it's just being a musician economically, you know, in college, it's great because, you know, my parents were helping me, you know, pay for college and stuff like that. So I had it pretty easy so I could spend time and play late night gigs and, and get up early in the morning because I was young and do classes and things like that. But uh, as time went on, it, you know, didn't really become affordable. You know, you have to get a real job, and then if you have a real job, which I guess teaching was my real job for a while, um, you know, it's hard to do the gigs at night and stuff like that. Right. It's also, I have a passionate hatred for setting up gear, uh, carrying all that gear and setting it up. Like, when I first started taking lessons, this was one of the things I really remember from Bob D'Angelo. He said, now, do you really want to do this for a living? Because you're going to be the first one at the gig you're going to be the last one to leave. And it's true. You get there early, you got tons to set up. Then you, you know, the guitarist puts his guitar in his, his case and, and unplugs his amp and wanders off while you have to take everything down and put it in your car. So I think that became a little much too. Yeah. Did you notice any uh, change in the students uh, as far as their, not so much ability, I'm sure that was whatever, but... Um, when I spoke with uh, Mr. Grasso and some others, they've talked about the change and kind of the attitudes of the students. Like music isn't really, it, it seems to be something to put on a resume rather than something that you just wake up and you want to 
do? Did you notice any of that? Yeah, shift? I mean, oh yeah, I think that's a lot of the reason I got out of teaching um, was attitude of the students that, um, how can I put this? I mean, a lot of it was the attitude of the parents, that's for sure. But the attitude of the students were like, well, you can't tell me what to do. You know, you're not my parent. You're not, you know, and the, the respect wasn't there. Um, and in the private schools I taught at, you had to do like, you know, bi-monthly progress reports. And if I said, you know, little Johnny is not practicing or little Johnny is being uppity in band practice or something, um, then I would get uh, flack from the parents that I wasn't a good teacher, that it wasn't Johnny's fault. So I think, I think what really changed was the uh, kids weren't taking responsibility for their actions. They, you know, where they were born and raised, that they were always right. And if somebody said something bad about them, it wasn't their fault. It was their teacher's fault. So they weren't owning up to their responsibility. And the parents were the same way, that if I had a problem with a, with a, a student, they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't take care of the issue. They wouldn't even accept the issue or even talk about it. I mean, when I was a kid, my parents were very strict. And um, I, I can remember, I don't know if you guys had this, but in school, every once in a while, you might get a warning report that um, would come in the mail and they'd just say, you know, your kid's acting up in class. Boy, if I got one of those, I think I got one or two. Um, I was, my ass was grass, man. Uh, but my parents were all over me. So, but now, you know, now that the kids can't do anything wrong and the parents don't stand up for the teachers like they used to. So I found that issue of respect and of owning up to their own responsibility becoming quite a problem. It sounds like that was a, also a, a private school versus public school, or was that also in Newtown? Um, yeah, well, I, in Newtown, you guys, you guys are good. I mean, you know, I, I had good students like you, and I had not so good students, you know, but uh, they were all at least respectful and owned up to, okay, I didn't practice, I'm not ready, da-da-da-da-da. Not that, oh, you didn't tell me to do this, and now it's your fault, but I'm not ready. Uh, in the private school, I got that a lot, but that was because I was, that was later on. You know, when I was teaching in Newtown, that was a long time ago, and I, I didn't think that whole generation was, was more responsible. But as the private school, I think some of it was private school because, you know, they, they thought they were, you know, big because they were in a private school. But um, I think a lot of it was just the way the parents were treating the kids or not treating right. the kids, not disciplining the kids. You know, when we got in trouble, we got grounded. We, we were in trouble. Uh, these kids, you know, they got in trouble and the parents are like, eh, man, don't worry about it. It's your teacher's fault. That's so interesting. When I, when I think of my experience with you, I don't, I don't remember you pushing me and I doubt very much that it was because I was such a stellar, self-motivated, whatever, but I remember you being pretty laid back. I was never a tremendously disciplinary teacher. You know, I wanted to make things enjoyable, but you, you pushed yourself pretty hard. You did, you did your own thing. I can remember when we did, um, remember we had a one, I don't know, one concert, we did a percussion ensemble piece sure. that I wrote. Yeah, yeah. And it was, it was pretty complicated. And uh, you did a great job. So, uh, you know, I think I didn't have to push you. And I remember you were you were highly motivated. Oh, I was probably just trying to get out. I mean, for for high school, you know, I mean, it's not like you practice eight, ten hours a day or something. But you know, you were you were always on top of things. So when I keep thinking about about music teachers, um, and I think of you, what am I trying to say? You were you were always very like upfront about like this is this is what you need to do to do this, but you were 
but there were clearly things that I was interested in that was n that were not particularly in your purview, and you never pretended that they were. Um, right. Mm -hmm. I mean, you never said, you know, I'm a trap drummer. I do this. I do that. You were just like, oh yeah, and and you actively encouraged me to go study with somebody else if that was where I wanted yeah, to go. Yeah, I, 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 I could. I can remember saying, okay, it's time for you to to move move on to somebody who knows more about these things that you're interested in. And sadly, I, I didn't really do that. Uh, I think I was just too scared to leave the nest. I went one time to Will Saint on your recommendation, and I don't remember anything about the lesson except for that he gave me a list of records to check out, and they were mind-altering records. Uh, I think it was Tower of Power with Dave Garibaldi and some of the the new stuff with uh, Dave Weckl or whatever, and it was, it was certainly like just you know what the doctor ordered in terms of opening my ears up to a whole other way of thinking and playing. Right, and that was that was that's, that was great influence for you. Oh, it was awesome. That was a good idea. But I, I wish I wish I had had the courage to to take your encouragement and be like, yeah, I, I I should study with other people. I should go and and seek out this information rather than hide and buy records and then try and figure out what the heck was going on. Mm -hmm. So I guess my last philosophical question for you is, uh, is on the role of, uh, of the private teacher. Um, I, mm -hmm. I taught a little bit uh, a couple of years ago. A friend of mine moved and tried to bequeath me his, uh, his kingdom of students on the Upper East and West Sides, and I was no good at making privileged people feel special. Uh, Right. That sounds a little snarky. I I was not I, I was not asked I was not retained uh, by many people, mm -hmm. and the people right. that okay. did hold on to me, I kind of felt like I was a tutor. You know, oh well, uh, we're doing song for my father. Okay, so you need to know a bossa nova. This is how it works. Blah blah blah. And then two weeks later, so did you practice that bossa nova pattern? I showed you. Oh no, we're not doing that anymore. Now we're doing this. Uh, right. Okay. So there's no, yeah. there's no like, I want to learn how to do this. It's just, well, this is what we're doing in school. So, you know, help me with that. Sure. Right. Not sure if I just distracted from my original thing, but I mean, what is it? What is an instrumental teacher supposed to do? What is a private lesson supposed to do for people in your esteemed opinion? It, I, I really think the private instructor, both in music and in art, is a, that's kind of a one-on-one -on -one quite often. It's a one-on-one -on -one experience from, with a student and an adult, or a supposed adult, uh, and that doesn't occur any other place. So it's not only music or whatever subject you're, you're dealing with one-on-one, -on -one, it's that one-on-one -on -one experience, too. So you're, you know, um, that's very difficult. You're, you know, as a teacher, and especially as a one-on-one -on -one teacher, you're on all the time because you're having that one-on-one that -on -one contact. So you're not only teaching something, there's also an emotional responsibility. Um, you know, you need to be an example. You're going to, I know in Worcester when I was teaching there for a long time and got started teaching with the high schoolers and stuff like that, we were the only time that, that a student was with an adult just just, you know, one-on-one. -on -one. And so not only would the drumming be a very important part or the piano or whatever we were teaching at the time, um, it was also dealing with some emotional issues. I mean, I'd have people come in that had just broken up with somebody and they just needed somebody to talk to. And because of the relationship of music and being, you know, it's a special subject, something they really loved. So they would get emotionally attached to you in a way. So they would want to discuss 
adult adult to an adult, even though they they were students. Um, and so that was a, that was a really big responsibility. I think that's part of the reason I got out of teaching was I f- almost felt that I was getting burnt out, and I wasn't giving enough to the student. Uh, not, I'm not I'm not trying to be a I wasn't trying to be friends with them or anything like that because you have to have that respect issue, and you, you know you've got to got to be a teacher. But uh, there was there was a lot of things that we would discuss that were beyond music right. or beyond the arts, and uh, I found that very very rewarding. But I also found that very, very um, exhausting. Um, and then rules were changing. I mean, you know, we—it was typical. We had, you know, a little music building with small rooms in it um, where you would take, you know, lessons. And by the time I left, they were cutting holes in the doors to put windows in because they didn't want the teachers to be in a room privately with another student. So it was getting kind of getting kind of a little weird too. Right. So um, you know. Uh, it's, you know, you couldn't have any physical contact at the end where, you know, you could at least, you know, shake hands or something like that uh, at the end of a lesson and say, good job, but uh, pat him on the back or something. But, uh, you know, the, I think the emotional, it's, it, there's, it's, uh, you know, you, 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 the students take a lot from you, you know, suck you dry for sure, but uh, they also give you a lot. And you got to be there. I mean, you've got to be there 24-7. You can't just, I mean, I always find myself, oh, I don't want to go in today, and that's just not fair to the student because the student is coming to you as a special time and really expecting a good, not, not, you know, not like I'm entertaining you or anything like that, but expecting a, um, a good experience and a meaningful experience um, where if they went to math class, it, it wasn't that one-on-one thing. I'm not saying math isn't important, but that was just something more that they had to do. But music lessons was something they elected to do. So I think the one-on-one teacher in, in a music or art thing was important to them beyond just what we were teaching, but just uh, as an example of, of life. Right. Boy, that's heavy. <laughs> <laughs> well said, well said. Yeah, good. And sometimes you learn more, you know, going into a lesson not being prepared than, right. you know, maybe it goes somewhere else. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you would like, sometimes if a student wasn't prepared, we might go to do something else. I mean, it would still be music, but it would be, you know, okay, get this together for next week, but let's let's go experiment with this. Yeah, I think those are often my favorite my favorite moments. When uh when I I went to Boston after college and I studied with Alan Dawson, and um, oh great, oh it was it was amazing. I mean, it was yeah. It was such well, it sounds a- like you were pretty brave. Well, well, he actually was very uh, so so sweet and and approachable. But I do remember once when I didn't, you know, I I didn't practice or whatever, and I called him and said, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't practice. I don't want to waste your time. And oblivious to the fact that, wait a minute, this guy's like counting on my money to you know eat. So you know, who cares if you didn't practice? But basically, he kind of gave me a little riot act and was like, you get your butt over here anyway. And and I did. And, you know, it was a great lesson. I learned a whole bunch, not least of which is like, you don't, (laughs) you still show up. Even if you don't do your thing, you still have to show up. Right, right. Yeah, that's that, you know, self-responsibility. And that's that's an important lesson because, you know, kids these days, you know, I think kids are really struggling these days because they're not taught the responsibility and and to, to be responsible for your actions. And that's causing a lot of problems. Honestly, I don't see too many adults who are taking responsibility for their actions either. 
wonder if that could be where it's coming from. Hmm. After our conversation, I was struck by how open and affirming Guy still is. Too many of us are all too quick to shoot somebody down because they don't match our taste, our age group, or maybe we just feel a little better knocking someone else down a peg as if we ourselves are elevated in that process. Guy knows better. Alrighty then, thanks to Guy for chatting with me, but really, thanks for mentoring me and giving me a really solid musical foundation, so that when I finally did find the balls to seek out other gurus of musical wisdom, I had something upon which to build. As always, if you want to find me, I'm on Facebook, haven't figured out Twitter, and my website is bivaproductions.com, that's bvaproductions.com. Thanks for listening. Click some like button somewhere, and I'll see you next time. Peace.